All right. Welcome into a new episode of the Zero Technique Football Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stern. For this evening, we are joined by uh, host of Giants Big Blue Kickoff Live. He also does reporting for Giants.com. It's John Schmelk. John, welcome back to the show. Ryan, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, doing well, and uh, absolutely wanted to get you on uh, to discuss what turned out to be a very eventful uh, NFL draft for uh, for those New York Giants. Uh, we, had, we had all those talks that Dave Gettleman never moves throughout a draft, and then uh, throughout the first two days of the draft, they didn't pick in either of their uh, of their selected slots. Uh, so let's let's talk about that that first pick and whether or not the actual trading down from 11 to 20 was worth what they got back when they could have had somebody that could have been more impactful up there at 11. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt to be honest with you. I even, we toyed with this on big blue kickoff live the other day. And you know, I was a guy that wanted Devonte Smith. I was not so worried about his 166 pound weigh in. I know he's an outlier and there's a risk there, but I felt he was an outlier that was worth the risk and his production and his ability to stay healthy at Alabama was enough for me. So I was excited when it looked like he was going to get there to 11, then the trade-up happened. But the the question we toyed with is that even if Devontae Smith was there, would I have been okay with the trade down? And I really had to think about it for a good you know, 15, 20 minutes. And you know what? I think I would have traded down anyway. And I'm a guy that liked Devontae Smith. So I think getting that second first round pick next year, well, let's be honest. You know, we don't know what the Bears are going to be. I think probably it'll be somewhere between like what, 10 and 20, somewhere in that area. But who knows if they, you know, if, if Justin Fields is a real rough go, they got a bunch of injuries, they could be the six, six or seven pick. Who the heck knows? So there's so much value in that. And I was totally on board with drafting an offensive lineman to to reinforce that that guard position. But to get that extra first round pick, and then you pick up the fourth, and you pick up the fifth rounder that's used to trade up to Garrett Aaron Robinson. If you look at the trade chart, they made out really, really well in terms of the value they got back in that trade. So, yeah, I think it was a great move. It's going to set them up great for next year. And while I understand a lot of people are really excited about this season and they made a lot of moves in free agency for this season, the draft is still not about one year. The draft is about long-term foundation building. So I'm not so concerned about this year. I am concerned about getting the best players for the next five years, and I think the Giants did a pretty good job of that. So then they do end up uh, falling into the 20th slot, and there they are at 20. And to me, the the two biggest pressing needs for this team were a pass rusher and an offensive lineman. And there at 20, in your lap, falls a quitty pay or really any pass rusher you – uh, you you could have wanted, and someone like a, a Christian Darius are there, and they decide to go with Kadarius Tony. I'm not taking anything away from Kadarius Tony. We've all seen the explosive plays, and we we've heard the former wide rec- NFL wide receivers come out and say that Kadarius Tony was the steal of this draft. That they absolutely love his fit with the Giants. I'm not sure the actual fit with Kadarius Tony when you could have had someone like a Quiddy Pay, a Jalen Phillips, or someone like a Christian Darasaw was actually the the right pick for the Giants. Well, I mean, look, Jalen Phillips was gone, so you weren't getting right. him. You got no, picked the pick right. before by Oakland. That's okay. But look, the fact that you got Ojolari in the second round, when for me he was right next to Quiddy Pay, I can make the argument for either one of those guys. I throw that when they moved when they moved to twenty, I thought they were going to pick a pass rusher too. 
And that's what I wanted them to do. But once you get Ojolari in the second round, yeah. the guy that I would right. have been targeting in the first, I say, you know what? Smart move. You guys know better than I do. You got him in the second round. Smart move. So then you're looking at the offensive line. Here's the problem. I didn't think someone was there at that point. It's not like Elijah Vera Tucker was sitting there. If he was sitting there, I would have been all in on him. A lot of people don't think Christian Darasol is a guard. And right. they don't think he has that finishing ability, right? I'm okay with where the Giants are at tackle for this year. Uh, Andrew Thomas is going to be left tackle. Matt, uh, Matt Parrott will compete with Nate Solder on the right side. If he's good enough to beat him out, great. If not, Solder will give you you know competitive level play on that side. So to me, the real question is, did you have to firm up the guard position, right? And once Slater's gone, and I think he would have been a worthy pick, even at 11 if they would have stuck and pick, pick there. I, that was my one of my top choices to pick at 12-2. I love, love Slater. And I think he could be a left tackle down the road too. Maybe even more of a left tackle than a guard, but I think he can play guard. Vera Tucker, best pure guard in the in, in the class, and I think he would have been an impact player right away. Once those guys were gone, and we saw Tevin Jenkins, there's a lot of questions about him off the field stuff, injuries, and other things too. That's why he dropped the way he did. There's no one else that's sitting there at 20. If you don't think Darasol is a guard because of his lack of you know edge and nastiness, there's no one else there at 20 that's worth that pick that can help you on the offensive line. So we already decided that edge rusher didn't make sense because you got him in the second round. There's not an offensive one, at least in my opinion, that fits what the Giants need that can play guard there at 20. So then you're staring at a cornerback. Do you think about Greg Newsom there? Well, you got Aaron Robinson in the third round, so I think you feel pretty good about that. So I think receiver was another need. It wasn't as pressing as the other ones, but it was something that I wanted to add in this draft. And I do think Tony's unique. I can make the argument that if I was starting a team from scratch, I'd rather have Rashad Bateman, maybe even rather have right. a Deami Brown, depending on who you like. There's a lot of, you know, Elijah Moore, take your pick. But for what the Giants have, they already have a big X receiver in Galladay. They have a slot guy that can do the intermediate stuff in, in Shepard. They have a deep threat in Slayton. But they don't have the yak guy. They don't have what Golden Tate was supposed to be, that you can give the ball to and just let him go. Run wide receiver screens, run bubble screens, run jet sweeps run end the rounds, run wide receiver option passes, put him in kick return, put him in punt return. You know, that offensive weapon, that what we're calling a G receiver, a gadget receiver, a guy that can do what Debo Samuel does for the Niners, that can do what Curtis Samuel did for Carolina, where he lined up in the backfield, ran the ball even, was a receiver as well. Uh, go back Percy Harvin for the older folks. Uh, Eric Metcalf, if you want to go back to like the 90s for a guy that was I, almost I half heard, running back, yeah, half receiver. Yeah, I, so, I heard a lot of Harvin comparisons to him. Yeah, yeah, that too. So, I mean, they don't have a guy that can do that. Right. So I think for fit for the Giants, he was the right guy. And honestly, we out on our Big Blue Kickoff live show on the on noon, the day of the draft. And we played a little game and I asked everybody questions. And one of the questions I asked, but I thought it was an interesting one was who do you think the fourth wide receiver in the draft was taken was going to be? Because the first three were easy. We knew the first three were going to be. Right. And three out of the four of us said Kadarius Tony. And if you go back to one of our mock drafts, I believe one of us had us mocking Kadarius Tony to the bears at 20. So that's about the right spot for him. So, I get Giant fans might get annoyed. Is he going to play 90% of the snaps on offense? No, probably not. And maybe that's going to annoy some Giant fans. That's fine. But he will impact this team as long as the offense figures out a way to put him in spots where he can. Because I do think you have to scheme a lot of stuff up for him, which will now be the challenge for Jason Garrett and his staff and Joe Judge to do that.
So now, to me, going forward, the the biggest pressing question is, uh, obviously, we saw they didn't address the guard at any point in the entire draft. Are we thinking that if Parrot and Andrew Thomas are able to solidify the uh, the two tackle positions, is there a chance that they can foresee Nate Solder being a part of the, the guard uh, rotation at points throughout the year? Yeah, see, that's one thing. I don't see neither Parrot nor Solder as a guard. I mean, have you ever seen a six-eight guard before? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. No. And Nate Solder's not exactly like this, like hulking, thick six-eight dude either. He's you know kind of long and thin, and so is Parrot. Though apparently he's been working out a lot in the offseason. I haven't seen a picture of him, but and I haven't been in the building yet. Hopefully, rookie minicamp will see some folks. Uh, if God bless, they let us in that building. But right. um, I don't see that to be honest with you, which is why I thought that they could use some reinforcement at that spot. Aaron Banks was the guy that I was targeting. I thought he yeah. might get to the third round. He didn't. He went off right. in the middle of the second. Trey Lance was another guy I really not. I'm sorry, not not Trey Lance. Trey Smith was a guy that I really liked out of Tennessee. But again, that's medical stuff. I don't, you know, blood clot lungs. I'm going to do what my doctor tells me. So I can't right. blame him for not taking it. I think the guy's going to like have an episode on the field. No, I wouldn't want that to happen with the guy wearing my jersey either. So I get that. Um, were there other guys you could have taken a different spot? Sure. But cornerback was a need in the third round, too. So, you know, I get it why Giant fans are worried. But as Dave Gettleman said in his press conference, he feels a lot better about these guys than people like us do, than the fans do. That he believes in Shane Lemieux. He believes that Will Hernandez can step up in his fourth season. And maybe he believes in Zach Fulton, that he can come in from Houston and, and be that stopgap. He believes in Jonathan Harrison, who was the future's addition from the Jets. You know, Kenny Wiggins from the Lions from last year, they brought in kind of midseason as a flyer. So, you know, these are guys that they hope can maybe help and be stopgaps. But if there was one position that could, I don't want to say sink the season, but really debilitate their chances of winning, it's those offensive linemen not developing. And that that's a danger. But they see these guys in practice every day. We do not. They know where they are in the offseason. We do not. So, we're going to see if their analysis is correct or not. Maybe the new offensive line coach, Rob Sale, helps a lot. We don't know the answer to any of those questions yet. We'll have to wait and see. But that's the bet the Giants are making, that the guys that they've drafted, by the way, with a first-round pick, Thomas, second-round pick, Hernandez, third-round pick, Parrott, fifth-round pick, Lemieux, are going to value at their draft position, and they're going to help this team win games by playing a lot of snaps. All right, so uh, final one for you, and it's really based on, uh, obviously, this is going to be the most important year in Daniel Jones's entire NFL career because there's a good chance that if this year does not live up to, he does not live up to all of the the, the sixth overall pick hype, uh, there's a chance he doesn't get another starting job in the NFL. I, I know that you tend to to be a, an optimist <laughs> that that you you want to believe in Daniel Jones. The Giants have obviously done enough in terms of bringing in pass catchers this offseason, in terms of Galladay, in terms of Kyle Rudolph, who isn't only going to help you in pass catching, but he's also going to help in the in the run blocking because sure. he, he is just so far a superior blocker to an Evan Ingram. 
and now with uh, Kadarius Tony. What do we feel about Daniel Jones heading into uh, the the most important offseason of his career? No, look, this is a hugely important year for him. To say otherwise would, would be lying. Um, I will say this. While his – look, the, the, big, the only difference really in his statistics, his basic statistics from his first year to his second year were his touchdown passes. That's right. the only thing that went down. Everything else got better. So what was that touchdown pass reduction a credit to? Was it that the rest of the offense wasn't doing good enough to get him in position? Uh, his red zone numbers weren't as good as last year. All that's true. So if you want to boil down his whole season to the number of touchdown passes he threw, that's fine. But if you look at every other statistical category, uh, yards per game, completion percentage, yards per attempt, um, average depth of target, his deep passing accuracy, his turnovers, were his turnover-worthy plays, according to Pro Football Focus, were basically cut in half from his rookie year to his second year. So we saw progress, even if it didn't show up in points and scoring. Now, the key is, can we see continued progress in those micro areas I mentioned teamed up with more production, right? That's the question we're asking. Can he put those together? Can he get more production while maintaining the better efficiency that he had in his second year? Because that's really the trick, right? If you're not asked to do as much and you're a little bit more conservative, you can be more efficient. But can you throw the ball 35 to 40 times a game, more down the field, you know, try to make some comebacks when you're down. Can you do that efficiency, that efficiently? That's what the great quarterbacks do. So that, to me, is the next step. Maintain the efficiency, maintain the ability to protect the football, but be more productive in terms of putting up points, getting touchdown passes, things of that nature. Can he do that? We'll see. I never like to label anything a make-or-break year because what happens if, you know, he gets sacked 60 times, he looks like, you know, David Carr back in 1998, <laughs> You know, Kenny Galladay hurts his hip again. Slayton pulls a hamstring. Barkley gets hurt again. And he's, you know, throwing a Kadarius Tony and Austin Mack the whole year. And those are his only two wide receivers. Look, anything can happen. But he should be in a position here, as long as the offensive line progresses the way they want, where he has all the weapons at his disposal. And that was a big thing for me this offseason. You want to set yourself up for a situation where you get to next February and you say, and you don't have the opportunity, rather, to say, well, what if? But, well, I don't know. If we had done this, would we know more? I'm not so sure. You want to definitely, definitively be able to make a decision on Jones after this season. I think he has what it takes. But one thing that I need to see more of after last year, you know, he played well with the lead last year. When the Giants, you know, were in these low-scoring games, he had the lead, he played well. The mistakes start to come and the sacks start to come and things like that when he was put in these comeback situations and he had to, you know, go above the X's and O's for lack of a better term. If he gets a bit more into more situations like that this year, can he deliver? We saw him do that at times in his rookie year. He showed he could do that last year, not as much. So that to me is the big key for Jones this year. I think he's shown improvement. He can make all the throws. He's a great runner. And by the way, he's got to stay healthy, too. That's something he hasn't done his right. first two years. He's got to stay on the field. That's a, that's a big part of this, too. And I do think he had something to the run game. Even if he only keeps it three times a game, you know, you still got to keep that weak side defensive end honest by him keeping it just three or four times a game. So I like all that. Am I sure that he's the franchise quarterback? I am not. I feel pretty good about it. But you're right. This is a This is a big year for him. He has all the intangibles. Now we got to see if he can put all that together for efficient 
production, protecting the football on the field. That's what this team's going to want to see out of him. Now, how important is it that he is going into now his second year in the same offense? Yeah, Joe Judge has mentioned that a couple different times. So the coaching staff definitely thinks it's important. And I think we did see progress throughout the season, especially in terms of him making quicker decisions and going the right place with the football as the season went along. I think that did improve. Unfortunately, when those injuries popped up end of the year, we never really got to see that reach at Zenith, right? And get to where we all wanted it to be um, at its maximum level. But yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, going from Shermer's system to Garrett's was a big change. They're very different in how you do your reads and how you, how you operate in the system, the language, everything was different. It really was. So that was a big shift for him. He's a smart guy. He picked it up. He did better, frankly, than, than I thought he would in, in a lot of the you know turnovers, the efficiency, and things like that. So yeah, that's a big deal. And I think the Giants hope that with his intelligence, now that he knows the system better, he'll be more comfortable in it next year. Uh, more weapons, as you mentioned previously, the offensive line hopefully develops and gets a little bit better, that this should be theoretically a breakout year for him. Yeah, and also not to mention that he didn't really have an offseason last year to, yeah. to develop it into uh, the new J uh, Jason Garrett system. Now we're expecting there to be a, a full offseason that we're, that we're used to in the past, so... I, I can only imagine that can be a positive for his progression. Yeah, I mean, I wish they were doing OTAs right now, to be honest right. with you, but you know they're not, which stinks. But yeah, look, just being on the field and then being able to kind of imagine this offseason almost like a fine-tuning process, right? He actually has now film from last year to look at and see, all right, I need to work on this, on these plays. I didn't do this well on this play. I didn't do that well. And you can work on things like that. And the same way with the Giants. They can look at the tape now and say, all right, well, Daniel did this well, this well, and this well. Maybe we take this concept out. Maybe we put more concepts like this in you know, to, to make him a better quarterback. And I think that's all part of the game. You know, This coaching staff and Daniel were kind of flying blind maybe isn't the right way to put it, but at least maybe flying with like one eye covered last year because he didn't have the offseason. So you were kind of figuring things out as you go. That process is gone now. These guys know each other. They're ready to go. And you hope that helps, and it should. And the more exciting thing is that we actually get preseason games too, right? That was the thing about last year. It's not just no offseason, no preseason right. games. You got to go out there week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, good luck. Uh, on like Monday the Night best Football. defense in the league. <laughs> right. I mean, seriously, then you got to play the Bears, the Niners, and the, and the 49ers. Right. I mean, jeez. Yeah. I mean, could you put a tougher first four games first against four, yeah. defenses? Then those first four games, and it's funny you go look back, and I, if, you know, people track this, and I actually tracked it myself this year. I went back, I actually did the math. It was like a day of work. It was a huge pain in my butt, but <laughs> no other team faced a better or a harder pass rushing schedule than the Giants did last year. Okay, the Giants faced, I think, eight or nine of the top ten teams that had the highest pressure rate in the league last year. So that, I think, too, maybe when the Giants front office looks at his offensive line, they say, well, you know what? They went through the ringer last year. That was a gauntlet. You know, you had to face Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack and all these teams that had these high pressure rates, not to mention the NFC East with the Eagles in Washington who had great pass right. rushes. So maybe that's part of their evaluation, too, right? That we saw them against the best of the best in that last year. And this year, when the schedule is not quite as tough, still not easy, mind you, but not quite as tough, they'll be able to have a little bit of more success. John, Wan, thank you so much. Why don't you give our listeners a little uh, plug as to where they can find your work and uh, where they can listen to the show? 
Yeah, Ryan, happy to come on. No problem, man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Schmelk. Um, on Twitter, that's two E's. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Giants.com is all my stuff. Uh, Giants Podcast Network, Giants.com slash podcast, Giants mobile app. Big Blue Kickoff Live is every day, or at least Monday through Friday at noon. We take calls, do some interviews, and then the Giants Huddle Podcast is where we do all of our you know, big interviews. I should have um, Daniel Jeremiah later on this week to break down the Giants draft class. Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, who had four of the Giants draft picks in Mobile last year. So those will be coming up at the end of this week, beginning of next. So looking forward to those spots. Those guys are great. And I will make sure I thank Daniel Jeremiah for daring Dave Gettleman to turn the wheel <laughs> right this year and make that yeah. trade in the first round. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. Uh, looking forward to uh, to having you on again. Absolutely, man. Oh, by the way, if you're a Nick fan, Bankshot Nick's yeah. podcast, make sure you check that out too. Big, big West Coast trip coming up here, baby. Heading hey, for that goodness. fourth seed. Let's go. I mean, it's amazing. We actually get to talk about uh, playoff basketball in New York. I know. First of all, Nixon May <laughs> used to be special for the for, for the old people like right. me oh, yeah. who remember the 90s. The Knicks in May and June, <clears throat> NBA and NBC, one o'clock on Sundays, appointment television. Yeah. Best thing ever. John Tesh comes on. Da, 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 da. It was just the best. It was the best. And now it's not quite that. The Knicks aren't the one seed or the two seed or whatever, but they could have a home playoff series at the four spot. And the way they're playing, imagine a Knicks Brooklyn Nets second round series. Sounds so, like fun to me, man. Let's do it. There's a reason why the the everlasting image of Larry Johnson when he hit the three pointer, which became the four point play, the the eruption of the garden when that ball went through the hoop, is just something. It, it's an image that will live in infamy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was so quiet. Everyone was literally holding their breath yeah. as that ball was in the air. It goes in. Everybody lost it. Yeah. You know, go earlier than that. The Houston shot in Miami. The you know the roller that right. that bounced in. You know, and then you go back to the Ewing days. You know, the the foul dunk against the Pacers in Game Seven. I mean, just so many great moments. And you know, Nick fans have been through a lot. It's been a bad <laughs> twenty years, man. It's been a twenty two decades. Twenty two years. Yeah. I mean, they were kids. That there are a lot of people that are adults now that that weren't born the last time the Knicks went beyond the first round of the playoffs. Okay, well the, the, you, we had that one mellow year. I'm, I'm going to throw that one out. I'm not going to count that <laughs> one. one. But it's been a long it's been a long time, man. Enjoy this ride because it's been a lot of fun. Got to give Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, all those guys yeah. credit because they've done a heck of a job. And I know I'm going long here. I'm sorry, but the Knicks get me excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John, be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too, Ryan. Be good, man. Great. That is the great John Schmelk. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Schmelk. That's S-C-H-M-E-E-L-K. Uh, check out Giants.com. That's where all of his stuff goes up. And, it, I mean, Giants Big Blue Kickoff Live, It it's one of the shows that, I mean, it's maybe the second or third longest uh, listened to podcast that I listen to. Uh, he does a great job. Uh, absolutely love listening to John. And obviously we can tell the amount of insight he has to the New York Giants. Uh, so uh, we did break down the uh, the NFL draft. I uh, wanted to talk about a couple of my favorite draft classes and a couple of, of my least favorite draft classes. Uh, the, the one that sticks out the, the most to me is the Carolina Panthers. I thought they absolutely nailed it. Um, 
a little bit of a surprise with with JC Horn and I know I've been critical of JC Horn but he is a legitimate starting corner and when you're talking talking about prototypical size for what you're looking for from your uh, starting cornerback, J.C. Horn has it. Uh, then they trade back twice in the second round, pick up extra picks. Now, why was this important? This just makes the acquisition of Sam Darnold all the much cheaper. Uh, they gave up a, a two and a four next year and a six this year. They picked up a couple extra picks, which just totally made the, uh, the, the acquisition of Sam Darnold almost uh, – it, it negated it. So I thought they did a great job. Uh, and then they get Terrace Marshall Jr., who I absolutely adored. Obviously, the the uh, injury questions are 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 real for uh, for Terrace Marshall Jr. But getting him there at fifty nine, I had a late first round grade on him. So that it's just tremendous value for me. Uh, getting uh, a, a solid. Uh, again, uh, offensive tackle, you're never going to be wowed by Brady Christensen's uh, physical attributes. He's just one of those solid uh, offensive tackles, uh, very similar to like what you're going to get out of a Liam Eikenberg. Uh, and speaking of Notre Dame, uh, one of my favorite players in the, uh, in the entire draft was uh, Notre Dame tight end Tommy Tremble. Uh, they get him there at with the 83rd pick, uh, which is a mid mid to late third rounder. Uh, Tommy Tremble is going to do everything for your football team. Uh, if you watch any Notre Dame football throughout the year, uh, the the broadcasters they said you want to know where the ball is, look for number 24. That the number that Tommy Tremble wore at, at Notre Dame. He is for he he is a combination fullback, tight end, H back, uh, slot receiver. He's got better hands than I think many people give him credit for. Uh, Tommy Tremble was my tight end three in the entire class, uh, just because he he is a little undersized for a prototypical tight end, but that's because he does a lot out of the backfield as well. Uh, he, he's just a winning football player. Uh, Chuba Hubbard was uh, one, one of my top uh, sleeper running backs. Uh, they did lose their backup running back, Mike Davis, to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they will be getting Christian McCaffrey back. So they, they had a, that spot there. And I think Chuba Hubbard is going to be a perfect fit for that Carolina offense. He's going to learn a ton from Christian McCaffrey. Uh, then uh, down at pick 193, getting uh, Alabama guard Deontay Brown, who I, I had a third round grade on him. They get him in the uh, in the sixth. Uh, which is, I mean, that that's tremendous value. Uh, South Carolina wide receiver Shai Smith, and then the the one of the the greatest images of the draft was, or or the the videos that we saw was uh, Matt Rule. Uh, calling long snapper Thomas Fletcher out of Alabama and, and just hearing his reaction to finding out that uh, they had drafted him. Uh, it, it was just 
that that's what you love about the draft. So uh, I, I really dug the uh, the Carolina Panthers draft. Uh, another one that you, you have to love is the Chicago Bears. Uh, they were decisive twice, uh, both in the first and the second rounds. Uh, they gave up a lot, but they went up from 20. And sitting at number 20, yes, they gave up a, a fourth and a fifth and next year's one. But if you're getting a franchise quarterback, that really isn't a lot to give up. Uh, getting Justin Fields uh, sitting there at number 11, I think some of we, we started to hear the rumor mill that Justin Fields was going to fall on draft day. I don't think any of us expected him to fall all the way down uh, to number 11, but they decide to trade up with the Giants and get Justin Fields there at 11. Uh, again, like I said, if you're getting a franchise quarterback, there really aren't too many trades that, that are going to seem that you gave up too much. Uh, then in the second round, uh, they get Tevin Jenkins. Again, we, we heard from John earlier. Uh, there was a little bit of a health question with him, but Tevin Jenkins, I had a, a mid, uh, second, uh, mid first round great on. I thought he was uh, going to go off anywhere between 18 and 24. They get him at number 39. Uh, then they bring get a, another offensive tackle. So they, they draft two potential uh, left tackles, uh, two potential starting tackles uh, when they uh, get Missouri tackle Larry Broom, uh, Borum. Uh, and then I mean, you, you bring in weapons. You get Virginia Tech running back uh, Khalil Herbert, who if you joined us for uh, when John Laub had come on, uh, the I, I asked for his favorite day three running back, and Khalil Herbert was, uh, was his guy. So uh, for those of you who do play fantasy in Dynasty, uh, if you do have David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert is – Definitely a name you're going to want to uh, keep an eye on uh, because he will be the uh, the, the handcuff. Uh, he'll he'll be the backup, uh, even if t- uh, Tariq Cohen is there. Khalil Herbert just does uh, so much more for an offense than a Tariq Cohen. Uh, and then getting Daz Newsom, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Uh, you 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 have to love the decisiveness and the willingness to give up future picks to make your team better this year. Now, now we just have to see whether or not it's going to work out for them. Uh, The next one that I have as one of my favorite drafts is the Los Angeles chargers. And it starts with their first round pick. Uh, Rayshon Slater was a guy that John Schmelk and I just uh, talked about. I said that Rayshon Slater reminded me a lot of Zach, the way I felt about Zach Martin, coming out of Notre Dame a couple years ago, thought he could be a really good tackle, but he's, he can be an all pro guard. Uh, I, I do think that he will play tackle uh, for the chargers as left tackle is their uh, biggest need. So uh, I, I just, I just, I absolutely love that fit. Uh, and then getting uh, Florida state cornerback, Asante Samuel jr. Who was my, uh, cornerback four uh, after Sertan, Horn, uh, Greg Newsom, 
then I had Asante Samuel Jr. over Caleb Farley because the uh, the injury concern with Farley is is too real for me. Um, I I just Asante he reminds me of his father. I think that is his ceiling. His ceiling can be uh, an All Pro Pro Bowl cornerback. Uh, I I love the addition of Josh Palmer. Uh, the Tennessee wide receiver in the third round. Josh Palmer, to me, is very similar to a Mike Williams. Mike Williams is going into the last year of his contract. This allows them to move on from Mike Williams at the end of this year and just uh, slot Palmer into that slot, uh, into that position uh, when, uh, when by the time the 2022 season comes around and that he already has a season under his belt. Uh, they get Georgia tight end Trey McKitty to replace Hunter Henry. Uh, McKitty was one of the more underrated tight ends in the in the class for me. I thought that it was an absolute steal there uh, down at number ninety seven. Uh, so yeah, that uh, that was my uh, my. I, I just really loved what the Chargers did, especially early on in uh, in the draft. And then, of course, what <laughs> would it be an NFL draft without any of us loving what the Baltimore Ravens did? Uh, Rashad, uh, again, Rashad Bateman there at number 27. Uh, I love Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman was my wide receiver three. I had him uh, ranked ahead of Devonta Smith. <laughs> so uh, that, that should tell you how much I, I love Rashad Bateman. Um, getting him at number 27 was just tremendous value for me. He fits that offense. Perfect. Uh, I don't think it's a great fantasy addition, uh, because the, the amount that Baltimore runs and with having someone like a Marquise Brown and a Mark Andrews, uh, it it wasn't the best landing spot for fantasy, but boy is he was the perfect add for what the Ravens were looking for. Uh, getting Jason Owe, geez, the, the Baltimore Ravens uh, getting uh, getting pass rushers. Where have we heard that before? Uh, they also get Notre Dame pass rusher Dalen Hayes later on in the draft. Uh, they get Ben Cleveland, who uh, was the standout uh, at, at the, one of the standouts of the Senior Bowl. Uh, they get him uh, towards the end of the third round, uh, Tylen Wallace, another uh, speedster uh, wide receiver, Sean Wade, who there it, it's a perfect landing spot for Sean Wade. He can slide right back into the <coughs> uh, the slot where he was tremendously successful uh, in 2019. Uh, Ohio State kicked him outside. Uh, to to play outside corner and it just it did not fit, uh, but here he can go back into the slot and I think it's a, a just a, a perfect matchup for uh, for the Ravens. Uh, a couple of the drafts that I didn't like, and this now this is starting to become a trend. The Las Vegas Raiders. Now, if you would have told me that after two picks, the Las Vegas Raiders were going to walk away 
with uh, Traven Merrig and Alex Leatherwood, I would have said, okay, uh, they got Merrig there at 17. Uh, and then uh, mid-second round, they, they, uh, they took Leatherwood. I think a lot of people would say, okay, that's not terrible. But the fact that, I mean, Alex Leatherwood, they, they take there at number 17. Um, I mean, Alex Leatherwood is by far, it, it is not my favorite player in this draft by far. Um, I was able, I, I was a part of the Alabama pro day, uh, zoom and I just was not impressed by him at all. Um, I, I just don't see a lot of football IQ when he speaks. And then I go back to the tape and I, I think a lot of Alex Leatherwood's success on the field was from the fact that he was a part of the best offensive line in the game. Uh, I, I thought the, uh, the the Alabama offensive line just continues to churn out studs. And I, I just don't see a fit for him at number 17. Uh, Trevin Merrig falls, uh, falls down uh, into the mid-second round. Uh, there's injury concerns, but from what I'm hearing, it doesn't look like it's going to linger into training camp. So <clears throat> I think that was uh, that was a steal. But if if you're the Raiders, you needed to come uh, and uh, yeah, they they did get Malcolm Kuntz. Malcolm Kuntz is an undersized four three defensive end out of Buffalo, uh, not. Not, not my favorite pick either. Uh, I just don't see that they needed to get bigger and more physical on the defensive line and in the linebacking core, and I just didn't see that. Uh, they were they were not my favorite draft. Uh, then we have the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the, this was this was this was a head scratcher. Uh, Throughout the uh, the day before and the day of the uh, the first round of the draft, there was a lot of talk that the Saints were planning on a major move up to to acquire somebody in the draft, and then you you see they them they stay there at number twenty eight, and they take Houston defensive end Peyton Turner. Uh, Peyton Turner would have probably been there at number 60 when they pick next. Um, it was a major reach to me. Uh, we saw Gregory Russo, who I'm not a fan of, go two picks later. I would have rather a Gregory Russo than uh, than a Peyton Turner. For them, I would have much preferred an Aziz Ojolari, who the Giants were able to snag um, at, at pick number 50. Uh, then they go Ohio State linebacker Pete Werner, uh, at number 60, I had a third to third to fourth round grade on him. He goes in the late second. Uh, I do like Paulson Adebo, uh, cornerback out of Stanford. He, he's he's okay. He, he'll, he'll fit in nicely as a number two opposite Marshawn Latimer. Uh, we all know my love for Ian Book, but we also know 
that that was uh, a lot a lot of it was tongue in cheek. Ian Book is not going to be an NFL starting quarterback. Uh there there were other guys that were on the board uh there at number 133 in the fourth round that that would have made more sense uh to uh to me for the New Orleans Saints than uh, than Ian Book. Ian Book reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill. So I don't know if that's just what the the direction the Saints are going is to load up on people that remind you of Taysom Hill, but um, and, and then Landon Young, Kawan Baker. To me, those are UDFAs. Pri- priority UF- UDFAs. Not not a fan. Uh, not not sure what to think of with uh, with with this Saints draft. I, I just was not a fan. Uh, then we move on to the Houston Texans, and I know that the Texans were in such a, a weird spot. Uh, they didn't have a first or a second round draft pick, and now they're going through all of what's going on with uh, with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, the the situation put them into a really rough spot where they felt that they needed to take a quarterback. Uh, they did take Davis Mills, who was my quarterback six. Uh, so he, after those first five that uh, went off the board in the first round, I did have Davis Mills as my number six. But a lot of that is based on upside because we have not seen a lot of Davis Mills because he can't stay on the field. And now <laughs> what we have to assume is that there's going to be an open competition for the Houston Texans starting quarterback job uh, between Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills. Uh, Again, they're in, they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, Then they go out and draft, they go Nico Collins, who I really like. I think Nico Collins is a real solid wide receiver. Then they go uh, Miami tight end Brevin Jordan, who is, Evan Ingram light. Uh, He's going to do nothing in the blocking game. uh, And and he has suspect hands, but he's a really good athlete. It wasn't until pick number 170 that they were able to address the defense. Uh, this, This is the Houston Texans have to be the favorite for uh, the first pick in the 2022 NFL draft. And again, maybe some of these could hit someone like a Nico Collins. He absolutely could hit, but there were just other needs, especially on the defensive side of the ball that I think they could have, but there's always going to be wide receivers to draft. That's just the way uh, that the game is played. Now there's always going to be good wide receivers there isn't always great defensive players. And surprisingly, my my final draft that I didn't like was the Denver Broncos. Um, yeah, they, they have Drew Locke. We all know my uh, dislike for Drew Locke. They do bring in Teddy Bridgewater. We know Teddy Bridgewater is a bridge quarterback. Uh, he's a decent 
one-year starter. Now, whether or not this is them just trying to say, all right, we're going to give Drew Locke one more chance and then go after a quarterback next year. But they had Justin Fields. They had Mac Jones sitting there when they uh, pick at number nine. And their corner, their secondary is pretty decent. And then uh, they, they make it a really, really good secondary by taking Sertan. I just thought there were uh, other places that they could have addressed there at number seven. Uh, I do like Javonta Williams. Uh, I know that running back was with uh, the departure of Phil Lindsay uh, was a need. I didn't think it was a need strong enough for them to trade up and address in the second round. Uh I, I do. Uh, Quinn Miners was actually was my favorite pick of theirs in the draft. Uh, getting him there at the uh, beginning of the fourth round, uh, thought it, it was great value. Uh, at uh, I'm sorry, uh, in the uh, compensatory in the in the third round, uh, I thought it was really good value. I just don't see value day three. Uh, Baron Browning, I wasn't high on uh, a safe, and then two safeties in a row when you potentially have the best safety in the league. Uh, t- taking two safeties in, in Caden Stearns and Jim, uh, Jamar Johnson, um, it, it wasn't one of my favorites. So, uh, so that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at rstern33. Uh, follow Backsports page on all social media at Backsports page. Uh, check out all the great content going up. Uh, we're going to have a lot of draft recaps going up. So, again, uh, make sure backsportspage.com is part of your daily routine. Uh, until next week, I uh, want to say thank you to Backsports Page for and Randy for uh, for producing today's show. And again, thank you to John Schmelk. Check him out, Giants.com. Giants Big Blue Kickoff Live is his podcast. Uh, great stuff that, that he puts out on a daily basis. Uh, and thank you. Until next week, have a great one.